0: Influence is a very powerful thing, and influence, not just someone else's, but ours is a very powerful thing. There's one verse found here in Romans 14 that I want to share with you, and it's verse number 7. It says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Now, is that true or not? In a more secular way, we might say no man is an island, and that is true. We all have influence. Verse 7, again, None of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. So in light of the fact we have influence, we need to guard it. And so we're going to be talking about that, guarding
1: our influence. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skevi. We're
0: going to be talking today as we turn to Romans chapter 14 on this subject, and that is guarding our influence. Guarding our influence. We just came through another election. And we saw a pattern continue in that election that we've seen in many past elections. We call it the coattails effect. And that is certain politicians get into office or get booted out of office based on the current popularity of the president. He has an influence that uh, supersedes him that causes some candidates not to get elected and others to get in who otherwise wouldn't have. It's really a matter of timing so much in politics because of the influence of the man at the head of the country. Influence is a very powerful thing. And influence, not just someone else's, but ours, is a very powerful thing. There's one verse found here in Romans 14 that I want to share with you, and it's verse number 7. It says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Now, is that true or not? In a more secular way, we might say no man is an island, and that is true. We all have influence. Verse 7, again, none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. So in light of the fact we have influence, we need to guard it. And so we're going to be talking about that, guarding our influence. Let's pray first. Heavenly Father, thank you now for giving us the privilege of living at this time in history and giving us influence. Father, help us now to recognize it and the effect of it, good or bad, and help us now to guard it. We pray now and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it all started thousands of years ago. It all started at the beginning with uh, God creating a man, and then God creating a woman for that man. God took those two, Adam and Eve, as we know them, and he, He placed them in the Garden of Eden, He said, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat thereof. He said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. He said, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Well, things were fine until the serpent slithered into the garden. I won't have you turn there, but we read about it in verse 1 of Genesis 3, which says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, have God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God knoweth that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Well, did Eve, take and eat of that tree? She did. And who influenced her to do so? Satan. The influence didn't stop there, though. We read on in the very next verse. It says, And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to to be desired to make one wise. So she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So now who influenced him? The woman. The woman. Was it a big deal? Yeah, it was devastating. Every murder that has ever taken place, every rape that has ever taken place, every war that has ever taken place, the Holocaust in World War II alone, which decimated six million Jews, can all be traced back to this act of influence. The serpent influenced the woman. The woman influenced the man, and it was not a harmless thing. You know, influence, by definition, according to Webster, is the, the power of a person or thing to affect others. That's pretty reasonable. The, 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 the power of a person or a thing to influence others. We call it sway. We might call it a leadership because we're all affecting somebody or leverage. We might call it impact, Uh, we might call it pull, we have pull, we have clout, but really what it is is it's influence. And back here in Romans 14, our text says in verse 7, for none of us liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. No man is an island. You might try to be. You might try not to influence anyone, but there's even something called passive influence. You know what that is? It's when you're not really trying to, to, to trip anyone up or do good or, or do bad. But we all leave this vortex behind us. No matter what we do, uh, there are folks who are caught up in it, and we have a very great responsibility to them. You say, well, Pastor, I, I don't want to influence anyone. It's my life. I just want to do as I please. I don't want to feel guilty for affecting anyone else. Well, that might all be well and fine. But in Psalm 24, verse 1, the Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell within. The point is, it's not your life. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein. You don't belong to you. I don't belong to me. We belong to God. We are uh, His property, if you want to put it that way. The property of God on loan. We are simply stewards of the life that he has given us. So we cannot say it's my life. I want to do as I I want without feeling guilty. It's God's life. He's placed us here to live it for him. Now, there are a number of examples in the Bible of influence. I was just reading recently about Adonijah. Remember him, the son of David, who when David was getting old, it was Adonijah who exalted himself, hired 50 guys to run ahead of him as he just drove his chariot through town trying to be a big shot. Well, he invited the other sons of David to a big party except Solomon. I wonder why. And the fact is, It was God's will for Solomon to be the next king, not Adonijah. So Adonijah must decrease, Solomon must increase. And when Solomon came to the throne, he told Adonijah, you better behave, buddy, or you're going down. And Adonijah tried to behave himself, but there was one thing he really wanted. David had a a nurse, if you will, by the name of Abishag before he died. She was beautiful, as far as we know. And Adonijah wanted her... But he didn't dare go ask Solomon himself. So what did he do? He went to an influence in Solomon's life, his mommy, Bathsheba. And he said, could you ask Solomon if I could have Abishag? Why? Well, because Bathsheba had some influence over the king, no less, Solomon himself. That's called influence. In fact, that whole mommy thing, I I find... James and John doing the same thing. When they wanted to to buck and jockey for position by sitting next to Jesus in heaven, they brought Mommy into the picture. Remember that? And they said, Mom, would you ask him for us? And she did. Why? Well, they were hoping she would have some influence over them. You know, we find that uh, Pilate's wife evidently had some influence even in Pilate's, Pontius Pilate's life. Because she had that dream, she said, have nothing to do with that man. Have you ever tried to go through somebody like their wife or their mother? How many remember uh, Tony Orlando from uh, years ago? You older timers would. He had a hit back in the the early 70s about the yellow ribbon around the old, old tree and so on and so forth. I I ran into his mother. It's a long story. It was a long time ago. But I wanted to get a track to him, and I gave it to her. And I said, would you give this to him for me? She said, I certainly will. And it was his mom. Well, that's influence, folks. And influence is any person that has power or sway that affects somebody else. Let's talk about it here. We all have some of it. First of all, let's talk about the ruinous effect of influence. There's a a number of people down through the annals of time and history who have ruined others through their influence. Obviously, Hitler would come to mind. You know, you've seen the video, as as I have perhaps, of him filling these huge courtyards with just tens of thousands of people and up there just having a duck fit, giving this big inspiring speech and, and all the people are doing this and almost mesmerized and brainwashed. And he had this huge influence over this whole country, enough to plummet them into this destructive world war. That's a ruinous effect. Look, if you would, back in First Kings chapter 11. And let's take a, a look at that man Solomon, whom I mentioned just a moment ago, and, and something that came into his life in 1 Kings chapter 11 that ruined him. It was an influence that came into his life, and it was the opposite sex in this case. In 1 Kings 11, we find the wisest man to ever live and gifted from God in so many ways, and doing so many wonderful things, but a ruinous effect came into his life, and we pick it up in verse 1. It says, But King Solomon loved many strange women. That means unsaved, ungodly, heathen women, strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon claimed unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. I'd say that's overdoing a little bit. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord, as, uh, his God, as was the heart of David, his father. Notice verse 4 says, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. We find out that they were a ruinous influence in his life. In fact, fast forward to chapter 15 of 1 Kings here, and we find that after Solomon died, His son Rehoboam took over, and and he was a dud. And he split the kingdom into the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, and the northern king was Jeroboam. It was Jeroboam and Rehoboam. I call them the Boom Boys, and. Jeroboam was nervous about everybody going back to, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and and uh, them throwing him under the bus eventually. And so he, he invents Baal worship up there in the north and, and, and plummets the country into a point of no return so much so that by 722 BC, they were destroyed by the Assyrians. But backing up, we find out that after Jeroboam died, his next son comes along and in in chapter 15 here, First Kings, and, and in verse number 25, we read these words, And Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned over Israel two years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. I wonder why. It says, And he walked in the way of his father, and in his sin, wherewith he made Israel to sin. Who was the ruinous influence in his life? It was his dad. It was Jeroboam, unfortunately. The next example is you turn to First Kings 21. Of course, so we could just spend all day in this, this book. But we find there was a king by the name of Ahab. The mere mention of him causes you to boo and to hiss. We know about Ahab. But who influenced Ahab? Well, in First Kings 21, notice with me, if you would, verse number 25. The Bible says, but there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. You know, he might have been okay without her. We don't know for sure. But she was an evil influence in his, his life. We have no idea, honestly, folks, when it comes to influence, that the, the devil never advertises the consequences of, of, of influence. In fact, he, he just likes to show the, the, the pleasures of, of sin, not the consequences of sin. But we find here how our influence lives on and, and how we're going to always reap. We're going to reap later. We're going to reap more. But you cannot go in the wrong direction without taking somebody along with you. I can't either. I realize that it's so important that we realize that. And you may not even intentionally want to hurt anyone. You might say, well, my issues, my sin, it's a private thing, it's a secret thing, and, and, uh, it's not hurting anybody else, but I'll guarantee it is. You cannot go in the wrong direction without taking someone with you, even unintentionally. So we see the ruinous effect of influence, but secondly, we see the righteous effect of influence, the righteous effect of influence. There was a missionary by the name of John Getty, and he went to the uh, Anitiam people in 1848. It's a little island out there in the South Pacific, uh, not that huge of a population, but he spent 24 years laboring there to those heathen people until 1872. There is this uh, tablet there still on that island erected to him to this day, and it says in so many words... That when John Getty came to this island, there were no Christians. When he left this island, there were no heathen. That's quite an influence, isn't it? Oh, that that we would have such an influence. Look back, if you would, in 1 Samuel chapter 19, as long as you're back there in your Old Testament. And we find, of course, the story back here in 1 Samuel of King Saul. King Saul started out pretty decent. Uh, In fact, he must have been a pretty good man who in his earlier years raised a good man like Jonathan. I mean, if you have a son like that, Jonathan was great. And if Saul raised him, he must have been a decent dad and a decent man at that time. and, And maybe the power went to his head. Maybe that's where he went south and he went sour and he went bad. The power. But we find out that by chapter 19 here... He's on a rampage. He's been bitten by the green monster of jealousy. He hates David because David's getting the kudos and he's not. And so he's out to kill David here. Well, Jonathan comes along and we pick it up in chapter 19 and in verse number 4. Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee were very good. For he did put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine, that's Goliath, and the Lord Rodder worked a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it and did rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without cause? And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swore, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. Now who encouraged him? Who influenced him to make that decision? Jonathan. We find here a, a righteous effect of influence in the life of Jonathan and later on even affecting David and encouraging him in a great way. Why? Because there's power in influence. In fact, in our households, we just start there. If we can have a righteous effect on our families domestically, what a powerful thing that is. Look in the New Testament, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, I've already touched on the power of parents over their children, and and that is with those kings who affected their lineage and their bloodline in, in, in a certain way. But what about husbands and wives? Do we influence each other as spouses? The answer, obviously, yes. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse number 1, it says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the Word, the Word of God, the Gospel, they... Also, may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation or lifestyle coupled with fear, the fear of God. Notice it mentions here gals who have unsaved husbands, and that's sadly a common thing. And it mentions them being in subjection to their own husbands, that if those husbands obey not the Word, in other words, they don't read the Bible, they don't come to church, they don't listen to sermons, they don't have any exposure to it whatsoever, and the only way they're going to get some gospel is the gospel according to their wife, the life she's living. It mentions here being one without the Word, without the preaching, by this lifestyle or this conversation of the wife. Yeah, that wife can have quite an influence over her husband. In fact, turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You find here that it's actually a two way street. That if the husband has an unsaved wife, it works that way as well. If your spouse is unsaved, is it possible for you to reach them through your life, through your influence? Well, yep. We find here in 1 Corinthians 7. Verse number 16 says, For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or, how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? There's a principle that we do have influence, good or bad. That's the only question. And do we realize it? And are we using it? In fact, if you turn back just a page to 1 Corinthians 5, notice this verse. Verse number six, it says, your glorying is not good. And then notice this part. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now, sometimes it's intentional. It's meant to leaven the whole lump. But the point is, it spreads. And that's like our influence. And don't we realize that? A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And and our influence definitely spreads like that leaven. The principle here is, our influence is like leaven, be it good or bad. We see the ruinous effect. We see, secondly, the righteous effect. But thirdly, we see the remote effect, the remote effect of our influence. Sometimes we don't even, we don't even see how it's affecting others remotely. A number of years ago, there was a young man who uh, was 18 years of age and had gone through 12 years of school. And on graduation night, he got drunk and died in a tragic car accident the dad was, was wild with grief and was caught up out of his mind at least for the time in getting the funeral planned and getting the, the, the son buried. But afterwards, he was wild with rage and he, he, he flew into the house when it was all said and done. He said, I'll kill the guy who gave him that alcohol. I'll kill him, the, the guy who gave him the booze. To calm his nerves, he went over to the, the liquor cabinet and he reached for his scotch and it wasn't there, but a note was there in its place. And the note said, Dad, I'm sorry to, uh, to swipe your booze, but, but it's a big night for me, and I want to celebrate. Guess who had provided the booze? Guess who had influenced his son remotely? Look in Galatians chapter 3, if you would. Galatians chapter 3, the whole book of Galatians was written to a region. There's not a town of Galatia, it's a region and there, are, there were churches there back in the days of Paul. And here's what had happened. Paul had come there. He had won these people to Christ by the grace of God. He had taught them that salvation is not a work. And and uh, he had established them and, and organized them and then moved on when some troublemaking Judaizers had blown into town and started to undo what Paul had done and began to teach them that, that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved and do these good works and all this other stuff. And the Galatians bought into it, an evil influence. And Paul was upset, and and rightly so here. And so he writes to them in Galatians 3, and he says in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Notice he asks the question, who influenced you? Who hath bewitched you? Who hath uh, upset the apple cart spiritually? Who's done this? We find here this remote effect of influence. In fact, you get to chapter 5, he pours it on. Notice here in Galatians 5 and in verse 7, he said, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion, notice what he calls it there, this influence cometh not of him that calleth you. It's not of God. It's not of the Holy Spirit. And then he repeats that little phrase, a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. And then he gets tough in verse 12. He said, I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. That's an expression means condemned to hell. I I would that they were just uh, thrown into hell with their boots on because of what they're doing here, this evil influence. He mentions it here. Oh, how the... The power and the potency of influence can be long-range and and the ripples can be so outlying and and so effective. You know, we've seen this in in, uh, our lifetime and not even that long ago with a president who at one time opposed the union or the marriage of two men and and said, I I just can't approve of that. But then he flip-flopped and he changed his mind. And he got away from God's definition of a man and a woman, and I'm telling you, it opened the floodgates. It, it, it accelerated things as he misled millions, and, and this thing has just snowballed now. Leaders can remotely pull things down, or they can lift things up. We find a, a great, great man in the Bible by the name of Ezra, who had come back when things were in disarray, after the exile, and... and it was going nowhere, folks. The temple wasn't getting built. The city wasn't getting built. And he came in with a burden, and he jump-started everything, and he got everything set in order. And they left for a while. And when he came back, man, it had fallen apart. I mean, they were marrying heathen again, and the kids were speaking in these foreign languages. And, and he was so grieved about it, he plucked his beard out, and he sat down for hours speechless. And I'm telling you, the Spirit of God fell on the people, and they... They circled around him as quiet as a mouse, and they said, we're sorry. Well, what do you think we should do? And he used his influence to get uh, things cleaned up and back on track. You know, I think of Nehemiah as well back in that same area of the Bible, a cupbearer, a waiter. And yet God used his influence in such a powerful way. God can really use and wants to use anybody. We see the remote effect of influence. We see, fourthly, the residual effect of influence, how it lingers. We we use the expression posthumous or after death, even after we're gone, our influence remains. I, I uh, like the story in the Old Testament how even after Elisha was dead and in his grave, this this other guy who had died was lowered into the same grave, if you will, touched his bones, and and popped back up to life. There he is, dead, posthumous, still affecting others. We've all heard of, of Hudson Taylor who went to China many years ago and was just powerfully used as a missionary there. When communists, the communists took over China, they wanted to erase that from their history. They wanted to actually discredit Hudson Taylor. And so they got an author, a polished author, to distort the facts and, and, and do the research and study out this life and present Hudson Taylor in a bad light. Well, when the author started to do the research and, and, and studied the life of such a consecrated man, he fell under great conviction. He could not do it. He actually renounced his atheism to the danger and perils of his own life and became a born-again Christian. Why? Hudson Taylor's influence. Long gone, long dead. Look, if you would, in Second Kings chapter 8. Back to the king's. And uh, let's look at a couple of examples here of, of the residual effect of influence, both good and bad. First of all, we find in Second Kings chapter 8, this influence, it starts in verse 16. And in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, we know where this is going, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat being the king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. Thirty and two years old was he began to reign. And he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Oh, no. As did the house of Ahab. Why? For the daughter of Ahab was his wife. You talk about being doomed. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. So here's a king. And we find this residual influence still lingering of Ahab. His daughter now lives on and corrupts this king of Judah. And then, if you turn to 2 Kings chapter 15, we find a good king who was long dead by the name of Uzziah. Remember Uzziah, the guy who, who uh, reigned for 52 years and was so, um, so effective, except for one little episode. But other than that, I mean, even Isaiah was caught up and enamored with the guy. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 15, and in verse number 32, It says, In the second year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, began Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, to reign. Five and twenty years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadak. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Uzziah had this residual influence in a good way. You know that influence is is irreversible after death. Good or bad, it's irreversible after death. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 1, we won't turn there to save time, but Peter made this comment. He said, Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Peter knew he was going to die, but he said, I want you to remember some things. I want my influence to linger on, even after I'm gone. Again, influence is irreversible after we die. You, you, you cannot bury your influence with you. It remains behind. We see the residual effect. We see the realizing effect, and that is when it dawns on us. Wow, okay, I do have influence. There was a little eight-year-old boy who went out shopping all day with his mother, from store to store they went, and finally, it was getting later in the day, they're in this store, and uh, the owner of the store handed the boy a lollipop. And the mother looked at the boy and said, what do you say? The boy said, charge it. Well, anyway, he'd been listening to mom all day. (laughs) We find here that uh, sometimes our influence is eye-opening, and And sobering, especially when we see stuff in the lives of our kids, and we don't even realize they're picking up on it. There have been many eye-opening times for me with my own kids raising them where I went, oh, I know where they got that. From their mother. (laughs) Yeah, No, just kidding. (laughs) From me and my wife, obviously. But we have influence, folks. Whether we seek to have it, whether we desire to have it, whether we expect it, the only question is who are we influencing and how are we influencing them? We find this realizing effect of influence. Years before Woodrow Wilson became president, he was in a barber shop. And he was sitting in his chair and didn't really have the wherewithal to see who had just come in, but uh, he realized somebody just came in and a personality at that. And the guy sat next to him in the, the chair and started to get his hair cut and he, he kind of tuned in on that conversation and realized that man in that chair had taken a personal interest in the, the, the person who was cutting their hair. And he began to witness to that barber. And, and Wilson started listening and he said it was like an evangelistic service. I realized I had D.L. Moody in the chair next to me getting his hair cut. And he said... The, the, the spirit of the whole place changed with Moody sitting in that chair, witnessing that barber and, and speaking out in, in unashamed tones. And finally, when, when Moody paid for his haircut and he left, Wilson said, I lingered behind just to kind of take in the, the effect of it all. And he said, the, the people in there spoke in undertones. Kind of, kind of like no one knew his name, but they, they knew somebody had elevated their thoughts and brought them to this place of worship. D.L. Moody had been in the barbershop. Wouldn't it be something to have that kind of an influence? Do we realize the influence we have? We've talked about the ruinous effect, the righteous, the remote, the residual, and the realizing effect. But finally, the Redeemer's effect of influence. Turn quickly, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 4. The Redeemer's effect of influence. Think of all the characters in the Bible who have influence and then think of the influence of our Lord Jesus Christ. In First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 state simply, Forasmuch then, as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Notice it mentions here, arm yourself with the same mind as Christ. Let Him influence us. Thank God that of all the influences in the Bible, you find the greatest is Christ. Imagine all the apostles afterwards willing to die for Him. Uh, imagine all the millions who followed willing to die for the one who had died for them. And now we find in verse 1 of, of 1 Peter, Peter 4, we are to arm ourselves with the same mind. The same mind. It's our turn now. It's our turn. I'll close with this poem, simply stated My life shall touch a dozen lives before this day is done. Leave countless marks for good or ill ere sets the evening sun. This is the wish I always wish, the prayer I always pray. Lord, may my life help other lives. It touches by
1: the way. God help us to guard our influence. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.